I'm headed down to the Panama City Songwriter Festival this weekend, playing Friday and Saturday. It's going to be a good time. Last we spoke to Abe, he was headed just across the state line to Florida. One week later, he was on the bill to play another highly anticipated show with several artists who had played the same festival with him in Panama City, Florida. Turns out, Abe was handed some pretty crappy news. COVID-19 numbers have been spiking everywhere across the country, and now it's made its way to the local area. Mobile County has added 139 new cases today, six that required hospitalization. Coronavirus has also affected the local music scene, according to reports, and has forced several local acts to cancel some shows. Reporter Shell Davis is on the scene in downtown Mobile. It was like people were uh, living in 2019 still. Some of my friends that uh, were with me down at the Panama City Songwriter Festival were also going to be playing with me at the uh, Dueling Hall in Jackson, Mississippi. And they both caught the corona. You know, I ended up getting my show this past Saturday canceled. Jesus, your kingdom. I took two of my children down there with me and we walked around with masks on the whole time. The place was set up in downtown Panama City where you kind of walk venue to venue. Me and my family were some of the very few people that uh, were making any attempt at social distancing or wearing masks or anything. It was like people wasn't even trying. I really hate being pessimistic, man. It sucks, you know. I, I wish I could be this, like, optimistic about it, but when it comes to having faith and the populace of this country to act sensibly, man, I've just lost any type of optimism that I, that I ever had. How come it is, Farrell, that the people that wear these WWJD bracelets are oftentimes the same people walking around with those red hats on? They're, they're the main mask shunners and virus hoax people. You know, they're, they're, you know, most of them are also the people that fill the pews every Sunday, dude. You know, the last time I went to church was Easter of 2018. The previous night, we had a show with my punk rock band called the Psych Peas. We ended up staying up till like two or three in the morning. The next morning, take my family to church on Resurrection Sunday, okay? And if you're a preacher, and you can't find a message in the Bible to preach on Easter Sunday. You don't need to be a preacher. And this dude gets up there, and he's like, I'm going to tell you guys a story about a man who grew up. He had a bad relationship with his father. He got involved in drugs and all this kind of stuff. And then whenever he was 20-something years old, he ended up giving his life to Jesus. That man was none other than George W. Bush. <laughs> And I just remember sitting there so horribly disgusted. All of this was followed by this same man who preached, ball-headed, pasty white old dude with a bow tie, gets up and starts rapping with <laughs> tape music playing over the loudspeakers. And this is a church with like 500 people in it, dude. Amen. And I'm looking at the faces of other people, and nobody is disgusted like I am. I would love to be part of a community where we could share an honesty, and we could share a faith, and we could share and connect with other human beings on that kind of level. I don't know, man. You know, and then, and then somebody looks at me like I'm crazy to go to the snake handle in church. Like, are you kidding? 
You, are you kidding? I never heard one thing about George W. Bush in any of those churches. <laughs> Everybody give a big hell yeah for local music. I don't know. It just doesn't sit right with me. It ain't Portridge in the sight. not a podcast about religion. This is not a podcast about handling snakes, drinking poisonous substances, or other acts of great faith. This is a podcast about songs, songs of them that believe the signs, that have never before taken their rightful place on the shelves of Americana. And perhaps that's because they are songs about handling snakes, drinking poisonous substances, and other acts of great faith. This is the story of ex-preacher Abe Partridge, an Alabama songwriter who took a $750 Sony handheld recorder along with an open heart to serpent-handling churches in Kentucky, Tennessee, West Virginia, and his home state of Alabama. This episode's field recordings were captured at the home of fourth-generation serpent-handling preacher, Cody Coots, along with his wife, serpent-handling songwriter, Cassie Coots. This is Alabama Astronaut, hosted by Farrell Gibbs. His horse was black as Tarkana. He wrapped his face in a blue bandana. The nickel barrel of his six-shooter was what the cowboys feared. And he held back a grin like a preacher fighting Sienna. He said I traded licks with the devil. Acting a little up a little bit, Brother David. Uh, see how fast they can change downstairs. It was. We left Abe at the house of the Lord Jesus in Squire, West Virginia. After a blistering four-hour service that involved serpent handling, poison drinking, and of course, recorder-clipping worship music, Pastor Chris Walford invited Abe down to the basement to see the snakes. When they get ready to bite. When God releases the jaws and allows that to bite, it's faster than you are. I don't care what kind of reflexes you got, it's going to get you to it. So a lot of times when they Yeah, the service lasted for four hours. You know, at the end of four hours, I pushed stop on my recorder, unfortunately. I wish I would have kept it going and just put it in my pocket because he was like, hey, you want to come see the snakes? And I was like, of course. And so we walked downstairs out on the side of the building. There's a staircase. But you know, you look around and you're like, why would there be a church here? There's not even a lot of people there. I mean, I don't know where these people live, but they didn't live next to it or even close to it, really. And the building's old, man. The building was probably built in the 30s or 40s. And so so what I'm saying is the basement actually is open to the outside. It's just down the mountain a little bit. We walked into a snake room, and uh, he had big aquariums full of some rattlesnakes and a few copperheads. And then he had another aquarium that was chock full of mice. And... Uh, he would take the mice out of one aquarium and throw them into the aquarium where the serpents were. That's how he fed them, you know. And he said, brother, I have the most prayingest mice in the whole state of West Virginia. 
<laughs> those mice are having to sit there and look at the animal that's going to eat them as they're raised in this aquarium. This is one of the biggest rattlesnakes I've ever seen in my life. I don't even think you could find one bigger than that at a zoo. I mean, it was huge and it was all coiled up in that aquarium, healthy and just looked like death. It looked like death in an aquarium. It's like six foot long. And earlier in the service, Chris had showed me a picture. I took a picture of the picture. So I got a picture of the picture of his mother holding this six foot long rattlesnake. And that snake with his mouth open, biting Chris Walford on the arm through his shirt, which almost made him die, which Chris Wolford's mother already lost her husband to serpent handling back in the 80s. She already lost her other son, Mac, who was a fine serpent handling preacher in 2012. And then last year, when that photo was taken, she's holding a six-foot-long serpent. He ended up telling me the story of that serpent bite. He told me it felt like he was having to suck air through a straw. He said he felt his lungs filling up with poison or fluid or whatever it was. And uh, he was almost ashamed of the fact that he went to the hospital. He was telling me about how he's like, I never thought that I would go to the hospital. He said, but my faith, you know, it was weak. And he's like, I couldn't breathe. And I was panicking. So he, he was taken to the hospital. And he said when he was in the hospital, they put him under, but he could still hear. And he said he heard those nurses and the doctors making fun of him. When he said it, you know, I looked up at him while he was talking about this and his eyes, you know, it's like they had a little bit of, they got a little watery. He was so offended and hurt that those doctors and nurses were making fun of him while they were like saving his life. This idiot, you know, he's holding snakes and, ha, you know, laughing at him and stuff. They were unbelievers. It, you know, if, if you don't believe in the serpent handling, you're an unbeliever. And then so he said, they caused my faith to wane. And he told me, he said, you know, I will never go back to a hospital if I get bit by a snake because um, I refuse to be around unbelievers when I'm suffering. I will never be around unbelievers when I'm suffering again. I want to be around God's people that'll pray for me. A few nights ago, we were talking about your journey here and you were telling me about a song that was playing. You said that it made you at your core, you know, you were tempted to jump up and dance along with everyone else that was dancing, but you knew that you were an outsider, so you refrained, but you really felt this primal call to dance along with them. In the same way that you feel compelled to jump up and dance with these people, do you look at it and go, I would like to try and handle that snake if I didn't have so much to lose? Yeah. Yeah, like I, I can totally, after attending all the services that I've attended, the animal part of me feels that same excitement. I mean, you think about what a snake is, man. Like everybody else is scared to death of snakes. You know, it's like something that's kind of born in us. You know, just being in those services, there's, there's some element in there that I think it would be a moment of ecstasy to participate. Now, that being said, that's the animal side of me. It appeals to me in the same way that uh, I think it'd be really cool to jump off the Empire State Building for the ride down. But uh, it's what happens like after the ride's over that really concerns me. Cody Coots, the son of Pastor Jamie Coots, told WQIT that his father Jamie had been bitten several times before his death, eight times to be exact. 21-year-old Cody, who also appeared on National Geographic Snake Salvation, has previously stated that if his father died, he would most likely take over the church on Evans Drive. There is a widely shared video on the internet. 
It is of 23-year-old pastor Cody Coots preaching at Full Gospel Tabernacle in Jesus' name, Middlesboro, Kentucky. Pastor Coots is dressed in slick pink pants, a powder blue button-down, a nice striped tie, and a four-foot rattlesnake as a scarf. He bounces up and down behind the altar, and the snake seems sedate, loose, unthreatening. But there is a moment as Pastor Coots screams his sermon where he transfers the microphone to his right hand and the rattlesnake to his left, that time seems to screech to a halt. In that moment, the snake is no longer a scarf, but a rigid coil, tightly wound like a spring. Two black, angry eyes peer into Cody's face, its prey dead to rights. Two venomous fangs lash out and strike the unsuspecting preacher directly in the temple. After a worried pause, the preacher resumes his charge, a tour de force of sweat and adrenaline. My God, he screams, a look of astonishment clouding his face as the congregation applauds. There's a din of chants and murmurs, the congregation's prayers rising to meet the moment. He tells the band to keep on playing and then continues to preach. He screams, if I'm going to ride with the devil, he's going to have to change pace. But then the venom begins to do its work. Cody Coots hands the snake to a nearby worshiper, attempts to preach once more, but his body reacts to the bite and he collapses. The congregants crowd around him to help him stand, but then he begins to heave. Every moment he deteriorates more and more into a bloody, incapacitated mess. As church members continue to march him through his oncoming delirium, keeping him walking, talking, and alert until he can be healed, a jumbo-sized Kentuckian, a friend by the name of Big Cody Wynn, dressed in overalls and a bright orange shirt, steps in. He hoists the bloody preacher over his shoulder like a limp sack of Appalachian coal and drives Cody Coots against his will to the hospital where Cody narrowly escapes death. He is flown by helicopter to the University of Tennessee. That's a pretty guitar you got there. I never had one. I, I have not played a Blue Ridge before, but I have seen it. Yes. great sounding guitar, man. I like that a lot. I'd be nervous walking up to these people's house. I felt like I was like walking up to like a blind date's house or something when I was in high school. I went to, I went on a blind date one time when I was in high school and it was a freaking horrible experience. <laughs> That's what it felt like. You know, you're just kind of walking into somebody's house that, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, we've got a lot in common. But, you know, that we still are just so far apart from having the same type of experiences, you know. Even though we're both white, Protestant, American males raised in the South. We have all that in common. But, you know, as far as I was concerned, this dude was from a different planet. Yeah, I was nervous, man. You know, it, I, I ain't gonna lie about it. it. I mean, I'm way more nervous about going into somebody's home for the first time. Especially somebody that, you know, I don't really know all that well. With a recording device, 
I, I think of it as less about me and more about the songs. It's not about me. It's about capturing these songs. So you didn't initially go for the music, though. You initially went for the snake handling, and then you went up there and you heard the music, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously what makes them different is the fact that they follow the signs of Mark 16. I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to experience that. But then after I got there, I heard the songs. They sing for hours, dude. Hours, okay? What caught my ear were the songs that particularly dealt with serpents and poison drinking and casting out devils and things like this. And I've been in church in one form or another. I grew up in church. I went to Methodist churches. I went to Baptist churches. I went to Pentecostal churches growing up. Dude, I'm well familiar with church songs. I know hundreds of hymns by heart because they were beat into me. I, because I've sang them hundreds of times. I went to Bible college for four years where we would go to chapel every day and sing hymns and things like this. Well, I went to these snake handling churches and I was hearing songs I'd never heard before. What really stuck out to me was, man, here's these incredible songs. And so while I was there, I would jot down the lyrics that I'd heard, some of the lyrics that I heard, because I wanted to look up these songs. Well, when I got back to Mobile, after my first trip to the Serpent Handling Churches, I start looking up these songs online with the lyrics that I heard, and I couldn't find anything. So then I realized, well, there's songs here that no one's ever captured. I don't know, just the idea of it became something that started to consume me. These people are not trained musicians. What makes this music so special? To me, it's the same thing that makes the germ special or the sex pistol special. It's not in like the technical performance of it. It's the fact that they're singing about something that is not even singing. They're, most of the times they're screaming about something. And they're screaming in such a primal way. And a lot of it's really just like this very visceral, primal singing that they're doing that's straight from the heart. It's almost like the beauty, a fabricated beauty is all just put to the side. And they sing to God, you know. Most of the time they sing with their backs to the crowd. And they'll just be looking at the wall or looking up at the ceiling and playing these songs as passionately as they can. Accordions, I mean, they'll pull they'll pull out any kind of instrument they can and just play it. And, and you know, they're mostly untrained. I don't know that there's ever been a trained serpent-handling musician. I mean, there may have been back, but I mean, I certainly don't know one. I even heard Jamie Coote say one time that he thought that God gave him the gift of playing an instrument and that some people God just gives these talents to. In other words, it's something that they never were trained in. Most of the time, like in the services I've been in, they rarely even look at the audience. They'll just stand up and sing right where they're at, or they'll just look up at the ceiling and sing the whole time. And so you got these people that are untrained, singing to God, and they're doing it, uh, they're just doing it in a completely soulful way. You know, it's like what music was before people came and messed it up. <laughs> you know, like people mess up everything, right? You know, it's like man messes up everything he ever gets a hold of. And music is much that way. It's a spiritual thing. You know, music is one of the most powerful things in the world. The ability to communicate with people and with God in a way that you could not communicate otherwise. And I think that the type of music that the serpent handlers have is, in essence, that. It's music without all the people trying to make it math. You know how many people I've met in the music industry that try to tell me that music is math and they try to put like equations in it? Everybody that believes that sucks. 
I don't know. You know, when I hear Bob Dylan sing Blowing in the Wind, when I first heard that, when I was like 26 years old as a Baptist preacher on my last end, when I heard Towns Van Zant singing Waiting Around to Die, when I'm just like coming apart and actually waiting around to die, that wasn't math, dude. That wasn't math. The water is raging And there's no hole inside But Jesus whispers Everything's alright For your answer's coming Just wait through the night But anyway, the serpent handlers, man, do you think they do you think they know anything about math and music? Absolutely not, dude. It's all about the heart. It's all about putting your antenna up and going where the spirit leads. And to me, that's like the purest form of, of music, which I think is, you know, sacred. Just look up to Jesus and he'll be your God. Your answer is coming for on my I was really pleased with those recordings because I was able to get them in a way that I don't think they've ever been gotten, really, outside of maybe some cell phone recordings that they've made of themselves. Cody says he's written, you know, dozens of songs, and Cassie said she had a few songs that she's written. And then, you know, I was able to capture some of their songs that would particularly mention the signs. It's all right with me, Lord, if it's all right with you. Yeah, I'll, I'll speak in tongues and heal the sick. I'll cast the devil out. I'll handle serpents, drink strychnine. I'll dance and sing and shout. It's all right with me, Lord, if it's all right with you. That was the song that I heard, actually, when I was uh, back in June at their church. And I was like, man, that song is killer because it ain't all right with me. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it was uh, certainly all right with them. And I was like, man, I, I got to record that. Your answer is coming. Mm -hmm. That was by you as well. Yeah. Quite the songwriter. How many? How many have you wrote? One, two. This is the one I can remember that everybody seems to like. Lord, please have mercy on my soul. Story, so they threw me in as pastor when my dad died, and I don't really feel I was ever called to preach. The thing that shocked me the most about Cody Coots Cody, because his father was Jamie, has been one of the most publicly documented serpent handlers that are still active today. 
whether it be the National Geographic show that he did or the several uh, YouTube videos. There was a documentary that was filmed by MTV that lasts like 30 minutes about him getting bit in the face or in the temple by a rattlesnake in a church service and him being taken to the hospital and barely escaping with his life. I had my expectations of who I was going to meet, but I wasn't in there 10 minutes before all them expectations were, <laughs> were blown away. I mean, the guy's an open book. What comes next on this audio is a testimony that Cody gives to Abe, an unflinching account of how he came to pastor Full Gospel Tabernacle in Jesus' name at a very young age. Not only that, but he faced perpetual scrutiny from an endlessly curious media, book writers, podcast producers, and above all, outlets such as National Geographic, MTV, TMZ, and others. Of course, often the tone sounded like this. It's been seven days since the star of Snake Salvation, Jamie Coots, was killed by a rattlesnake. But don't worry, we believe in miracles. He has come back again. No, not the preacher. The preacher's still dead. He died from a snake bite. The snake is back. And look at there. There's his son, Cody Coots, dancing with the demon in a church service. Or maybe he's epileptic. We're not really sure. Almost like it was fishing for a laugh. All to say, although Cody was exceptionally forthcoming with Abe, we here at Alabama Astronaut believe he was unaware that this recording would ever become a podcast. And we know this because, on the day he made the recording, Abe was unaware himself. Therefore, we must treat this audio as if both parties assumed it was just a private one-on-one -on -one conversation over a song recording session in the privacy of the Coots' home. You can find plenty on the internet about Cody Coote's turbulent journey through his preacher days, but we will leave that to the other folks. Like, like the level of honesty that he exhibited was, I, I've never experienced that before. I've never, I've never experienced that before. And I was a pastor for two years, and I talked with people who had committed great and atrocious sins, and most of them would never even admit it until they were caught. I mean, does it even need to be pointed out the fact that thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people in the clergy or in some kind of spiritual leadership role regularly do these things that Cody Coots has done, but yet they never admit to it unless they're caught, you know? So much of the disdain that people have for folks that get caught in the kind of sins that Cody was involved in comes from the fact that they try to cover it up or they're not honest about it or they lie about it. And it's the facade that they create around themselves like they would never be able to do something like that. But within 15 minutes of walking in his front door, he was confessing these things to me as a complete stranger. And I wasn't even really asking about it. So uh, that was the most shocking thing to me was just what a complete, you know, an open book this guy is with his wife right beside him. Everything's set up so uh, I, 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 could, I don't have anywhere to go. I have nothing to do. I know it's, it's y'all's schedule. And I don't want to put you out or anything. You tell me when it's my time to go, but y'all can sing as much as you want. We definitely don't care to record some songs. Okay, just go. What were your first impressions of him? What did you think of Abe Partridge? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Abraham found me on YouTube. He commented on there and asked for the address of church. And he shows up, and I see this guy walk in, and he goes and sits on the back bench. And I don't know him from Adam. I wasn't even sure if this was the guy that was on YouTube. And then uh, the Lord spoke to me and said, go tell him that he's seeking for answers and he's going to find them. And I've never met this guy. Prophecy is a deep thing, and I don't like going to people that I don't know. 
So after church, I walk up to him, and I'm like, hey, how you doing? And uh, he tells me his name. I say, well, the Lord told me to tell you that you're seeking for answers, and you're going to find them. And then he just looks at me, and there's like this pause. And he just starts shaking his head, yeah, I, said, I don't know what it's about. He said, well, I know what it's about. You know, we talk back and forth a little bit, and he hits me up, and he's like, hey, can I come to your house and record some music? So what kind of religion? Was your church like what? We were Baptists. Okay, yeah. yeah. I told her yes. when you came, yeah. I said, hey, pastor, the church here in Millsboro. Yeah, in Millsboro, yeah. Well, automatically, I'm thinking, this guy really just wants to come to an interview because we're snake handlers. We get that all the time. But me being who I am, I'm like, yeah, man, just pick a day, come down and record some songs and talk. And I really didn't know what I was getting myself into because I didn't know. There's so many reporters that comes along and people that will fake being your friend just to get your story or get close. And when he comes to the house and we sit down and we record some songs and hours go by and he tells us how he used to pastor a church. And I'm finding all these things about how he met my dad. And I'm like, I'm just blown away. But then he asked a question about something that most people don't use the ask is how does one truly get saved? I, I don't I don't want you to feel like I'm putting you on the hot seat because I ain't. Uh, I'm just asking because I want to know, what do you believe, Blake? What do the holiness people of your stripe believe about, like, do you, that salvation, is that, does that happen and then you're saved, or is that something that you work toward, or how, how does this happen? Like, how do you get saved? Yeah. I'm like, this guy's not just about the music and the signs. I feel like he was looking for something spiritual. I mean, he come from being a pastor of a church. I was a pastor of a church. I hit some hardships and things happened. I'm no longer pastor no more. Same thing kind of happened with him. You know, we're, we're kind of kind of the same, just in different worlds, I guess, you know. Fast forward just a little bit longer, and now he's more like family than a friend to me. Some people say they love the Lord, oh, it's not so. They have a wholeness meeting, but they refuse to go. Well, praise the Lord, I love His power, love it more each day. Jesus died out on the cross to take my sins away. I don't try to go out of my way to do things that I know would offend them. So I always wear long sleeves when I go around them. And, you know, their men wear long sleeves. You know, when I went to their house, I was chewing gum because that's a bad habit of mine. And I had no idea that that was something that they considered not good. And I'm sitting there chewing gum in their house. I don't chew no tobacco, and I don't chew no gum. But if I live right close to the Lord, I'll take a three-year one. I immediately was like, oh crap, you know, I, I don't want to do anything that I know would offend them. Jesus died out on the cross to take my sins away. I know a lot of people used to walk and talk with me, but since I took up serpents, they've turned their backs on me. Well, praise the Lord, I love His power, love His more each day. Jesus died out on the cross to take my sins away. I don't know the last part. I didn't know how Is chewing gum not right, too? Well, I don't chew gum. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm chewing no, gum in your no, house. No, no, you're fine. I don't Okay, because I was chewing gum in your house. Serious. I don't, no, don't no, want to no, offend anything. No, no, my kids chew Associate Director of the Music Business Program at the University of Georgia, Master Recorder, Producer, and Engineer, Professor Tom Lewis.
Did I get that title right, by the way? That's correct. All right, sweet. I asked him one time why he's so interested and compelled by this music, and he tells me that currently he believes it's the most punk rock music in all of America. What do you think of Abe's claim that music like this should be considered as the most punk rock going nowadays? Fascinating question, I suppose. I mean, his contention is this isn't driven by commerce. This isn't driven by attention. It's driven by an innate energy that one person might pay attention, a hundred people might pay attention. It doesn't matter. It's being done because it needs to be done. It's being done because it's supposed to be done. When I was 15, 16, 17 years old, I liked things that were complicated. I listened to Yes records because they wrote these convoluted 21-minute songs and everybody was a virtuoso at their instrument. And some friends of mine and I went to see the band Rush and they were perfect. Everything about it, note for note, just exactly as perfect as you could be. And I went home thinking, what's this? It was kind of a, it was a letdown that it was so wonderful. And then a week after that, one of the guys that I went to the show with said, you've got to come to my house. I want you to hear this record. And so I went over and we listened to The Clash, London Calling from beginning to end. And I thought, this moves me. Now, I can say that today, in 2020, I can sit down and listen to a Rush record. There's only a couple that I'll listen to, <laughs> trained or not. This is something that I've heard. But the idea was that in punk rock, there was no vocabulary, but they had so much to say. And in very organized orchestral or even rock or pop music, really extensive vocabulary, but they had absolutely nothing to say. And that that for me resounds. If you have something to say that's that's going to catch a person and you know hold their attention and there's an exchange there. It's not just I'm telling you something you want to hear so it makes you happy to sit here and listen to my song. There's an exchange there. That's what I call good. If that's just not happening or if the intention is to impress or like my Facebook fan page or follow me on Instagram, to a certain extent, I look at that as being bad, but those are not objective things. They feel that way for me, um, but they, they are subjective at the end of the day. He says it's super loud, speakers as big as a car. You got any advice for the two of us so that when he goes on his next field trip, uh, these recordings can get even better than the ones he's getting out on the road? Yeah, get up in the front row. <laughs> You're capturing what you can capture from the back of the room. You know, you got to get in the front of the room. I'd be scared if, personally, if there's snakes, I don't want to be in the front of the room. I'm going to have you call ahead to his next church. You tell them to let him sit up front. <laughs> right, I'll vouch for him. I mean, he just he's just trying to get better audio. So that's all there is to it. If state laws say, yeah, you actually can't do this, I'm actually surprised they're letting him in the door in the first place. I'm not like them, but I can pretend the sun is gone, but I have a light. The day is done, but I'm having fun. I think I'm dumb, or maybe just happy. Next time on Alabama Astronaut. So while we're there, okay, you know, this is the one where the guy kind of like, there's a dividing spirit. There's a spirit that's come in to try to ruin this service. Come on, why don't we all stand up? 
We can take authority over this thing. I didn't come here to waste my time. Behind the pulpit, on the platform up at the front of the church, there's a door. And the snakes came in from there. Me and Morgan, we were certainly on our way to hell after four hours of this preaching. References made, I mean, numerous references made to us like the whole time we're there. The guy calls out to the guy on the very back row. He's like, hey, brother, go over there to that wall and pull that breaker. And the guy on the back row stood up. He's like, what? He's like, get over there and pull that breaker. He's like, shut the power off this place. Open up the breaker box. And, pull, and he's like, pull the breaker this place. Slip them. And so the guy did it. Everything just went off. I couldn't even see my hand in front of my face. I reached over and grabbed Morgan. I was like, we got to go. But we, we couldn't even see. Dude, that's crazy, isn't it? I'm not like them, but I can pretend the sun is gone. But I have a light, the day is done, but I'm Thank you for listening to Alabama Astronaut. If this is your kind of poison, head on down to alabamaastronaut.com where Abe Partridge has been busy collecting videos, pictures of his interviewees, and you can also find extra podcast episodes. But perhaps, most importantly, you can find songs upon songs upon songs. Also, check out the bonus content menu on the website where you can get access to a bonus episode that corresponds with episode two about Abe's budding relationship with the serpent handlers. Abe Partridge and all of us other Alabama astronauts would like to thank Cody and Cassie Coots for their warm hospitality and for playing their hearts out for Abe's field recordings. Music today by Abe's awesome punk band, The Psych Peas, and that's Abe on banjo. Intro music, Satan, Your Kingdom Must Come Down, also by the man himself, as well as the Nirvana cover, Dumb. Otis in the Morning and Brush Arbor by Will Stewart. Very special thanks to Professor and Associate Director of the Music Business Program at the University of Georgia, Tom Lewis. If you would like to learn all about the magic of music, you can sign up for his class at UGA. He currently sports a perfect score on RateMyProfessors.com, even though we are positive he finds such things to be arbitrary and subjective. See y'all next week!